In this episode, Jordan Budd joins the podcast, and she shares her 2018 Wyoming elk hunt. The beginning, the middle, the highs, the lows, and everything in between. I hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tedford professional archer hey everyone i'm christy titus and you are listening to archery maniac we cover everything archery from the hunting side to the tournament side with stories tips and tactics gear reviews and more that that helped my tuning game so much when i made sure that all my arrows were square i'm staring into his eyes blood's dripping off of its tines mud is everywhere the clarity these mavens offer is amazing i'm just like spider-man you know on this rock just (laughs) laying there belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant. Real quick, this was done via phone recorder, so excuse some of the cracking as well as some of the amazing Wyoming and Nebraska cell phone reception. Other than that, it's an awesome podcast and I hope you enjoy the show. Appreciate you hopping on the show with me. I'm super excited to to hear your uh, to hear your your elk hunt because I know it was I know it was a miserable prick so <laughs> dude I know it was funny because like uh well I guess we'll get into it but I ended up going back and it it snowed well it snowed on me twice but everybody was like oh that's like the best elk hunting weather and I would I would kill to shoot an elk in that and I'm just like I hate snow. I would just rather it wasn't here right now. <laughs> like, are you stupid? <laughs> yeah, it does. It just makes it miserable. I don't like it. Not a not a cold snow person. <laughs> you might be in the wrong state. I dude, no kidding. I know, especially this year. At least at least up up where I was, it was it snowed a bit, but. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, uh, I've been putting into for that tag for a couple of years, and it's not, you know, it's a limited quota, but it's a, like a, I, you know, I don't know what it is. I think it's a four-point unit for non-residents. Um, I drew it as a resident, so it's all the residents for elk are just they don't have points for residents. It's just all a, all a random draw, as you know. Yep. So yep. I, so I put in there for two years, threw it on the second year, and I did it as a type one, which is pretty cool for that. I guess Wyoming kind of gives you this option is if you draw it as a type one or if you even draw like a general license, it gives you the rifle season for that unit, but then it, you can buy the archery stamp and then it gives you some archery season, which the archery season is pretty good because it's September 15th. Um, through the through the end of September, and then the the guys that just draw the Type Nine tag in those limited quota areas, then they get to hunt the whole month of September, but then they don't get to hunt the rifle season. So I I think that that's a, that's a pretty cool thing that that Wyoming does. At least you can take advantage of. You can go back with a rifle if you don't get one for with archery. So. That's where I thought I was going to end up with it. I was pretty sure that we were going to be there during rifle season trying to get this thing done. But, <laughs> yeah, 
But uh season opened on the 15th of September, and I was in North Dakota on a filming trip, actually, just for a, a project for Mule Deer Foundation, so I didn't get to be there on the 15th, and I rolled in kind of the latter part of the day on the 16th and got in, and kind of my plan was, was I was going to back, I was going to backpack in. Um, I brought both my, my Meg, my Kafaru Mega Tarp and Stove, and then I brought like a, just a Hilbert tent, so I could kinda, uh, my plan was so I could have the tent at the, at the truck, and then I could just backpack in a couple miles. I didn't want to go too far, cause I was by myself, and, I mean, it is an elk, so you kinda, <laughs> you kinda have to, you have to think about like how far you wanna pack one of those things out when you're by yourself. Yeah, so, well, I mean, not only that, you, just, you have to think of the whole logistics, you know, like, yeah. if, if you have, you know, if you're three, four, you're, let's say four plus, if you're four plus miles in, uh, the chances of that taking you a day and a half or more to get a whole elk out is very good. So even if you have something else planned, you know, for you, you have to go fill a hunt or whatever else, you got to realize that if I got to leave Friday to go film a hunt, I can't really technically shoot an elk on Thursday because I won't be able to get the damn thing out. I mean, yeah, you can pack all night and people have, but it's just not as likely. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not, not as likely. And then I was thinking of things too, like when you, I think for elk, I, I've elk hunted, I filmed a lot of elk hunts, I guess, and I've elk hunted a little bit on my own or whatever. Not a lot. I mean, you know, I'm kind of, I like mule deer. That's kind of where I, I throw all my chips and where I have before. So I just have an elk hunted a lot and I'm, I'm kind of thinking like you get, you know, you get three plus miles in and you kind of tie yourself down, especially if you're backpacking, you kind of tie yourself down to that area. And instead of, uh, especially like if it snows or something and you need to move, you're going to have to pack all your stuff back out to the truck and completely relocate. Whereas I think if you don't, maybe don't go as far in, it doesn't take you as long to get out and like completely relocate for like an evening hunt if you have to. So I think that was some of the advantage there too, for me anyways, of uh, maybe not going in as far. And then I didn't, I actually didn't end up backpacking in at all. I got there that evening and I glassed and and found some some elk in a in an opening that really wasn't wasn't far from it was where I kind of wanted to go backpack into. But when I kind of started looking at at routes to get in there in the distance, I was like, backpacking in isn't really gonna save me much. It will get me closer to them, but it it would almost be too close, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so I ended up just, I threw the mega tarp up um, off of, of a little two-track road that I got my pickup back in on and uh, and just basically truck camped. And uh, so the first morning I'd seen, seen those, the second, well, I guess, yeah, the first morning I'd seen the elk again and I'd seen the evening before and went and made a big, uh, a big loop. It ended up being like a four-mile loop, I think to get up on top of them and ended up bumping some elk and just couldn't find those ones again. It was pretty hot. It was like 
was almost eight degrees up there, which is crazy. Yeah, and they just, that is super kinda, hot. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, especially for elk. And they're kind of sticking, sticking in the timber and uh, not, not really responding to calls. And I'm, like, again, not really a big elk hunter, so especially the the calling is I can do it, but I don't have the patience to, like, cold call <laughs> like a lot of people do. Or, like, have enough confidence in myself that it's actually going to work, I guess. Oh, yeah, I me know. either. I, I, sometimes I think I sound more like a dead, dying duck than I do an elk. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, there's no way in hell that this is going to work. So ended ended up going back to camp, and uh, and then it snowed, which is just not fun again, but not too much. Talked me in for a morning, and then uh, I decided to, like, the next morning, I actually took my pickup and took it back out further on the road and just climbed up on a ridge and out on a glassing point and just basically glassed the morning. And I, that was the plan anyways. And I just got to my glassing spot and I could hear a bull bugle, um, just kind of over, over the next ridge into another little basin. And so I ran up there and they were all down in the bottom and it made, he had some cows. He's a pretty good bull. Um, he had probably 12, 15 cows and they all ran down into the bottom. So the wind was good and I kind of skirted around this other ridge, made my way down and thought that I'd beat in front of them, which I did. Um, just kind of slipped in there and started calling and I just, I just cow called like three times and was just kind of waiting for a response. Like I thought I was going to get a response from him. And so I was, I was there for maybe 30 seconds and look over to my right for a little bit of satellite bowl at like 30 yards. And I was going to shoot him. And I'm like, okay, he should, with the wind, um, I set up so he should swing down in front of me and then he should be, try to get my wind and I'll have a shot. Well, he went behind me and kind of circled upwind, which is strange. And by that time, I know, I was like, what the hell? And uh, by that time, he was like 20 yards, and I had to completely turn around to get into uh, when he was going to cross a little bit of a, a lane. I was going to have to completely turn around, and it was just too close. He didn't like it, and he and took off. I was in there for a little while longer and just kind of kept calling, and they, they were kind of bugling, but they just kept getting further and further down. and. Uh, the, the wind was still a bit shifty, and the thermals were a bit shifty at that point. It was like 8.30, the was starting to change, and uh, I ended up just backing out. And looking back, I probably, I think it should have been more aggressive, I guess, maybe, and just gone after him after talking to a couple people they're like i mean at some point you just got to be you got to be aggressive and you wow so i don't know what do you kind of like to do in those archery situations like this when you get to a herd like you like to slip in and if it doesn't look good or not going to happen you just 
back out and wait for the evening, especially if you know that there's probably not anybody else on those elk, or do you like to, to push it? You know, I, it, it depends obviously on the situation. Um, if it's one of the first days that I'm in there, then I will do my best to call the hounds off. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but that doesn't always work for me. Um, I generally am in, I'm usually a very aggressive hunter. Uh, I'm just a go, go, go person in pretty much everything that I do. Uh, however, you know, if I, I also, in, I'm slowly, very slowly getting better at realizing when it's, when it's just really stupid to go do it. You know, I really don't have a very good play or anything like that. It's just, it's just not a good idea. Um, so at that point, you know, I would, I would probably try and get myself to back out. Now on the flip side, if it's one of the last days, then I'm pretty much going to go for it no matter what. You know, I, I'm probably, you know, and chances are, you know, usually when I hunt somewhere, you know, elk, I live in southern Wyoming. I usually hunt elk. I'll live in northern Wyoming. Um, whether it be, you know, kind of where you were hunting or other places, doesn't really matter, but usually it's about a six hour drive. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's usually all or nothing when it comes down to the last couple of days of my yeah. hunt. So at that point, I would, you know, I would usually just go for it. Um, but then again, it depends on scenario and things like that. Um, I mean, you can, you can play, you can coyote a herd for a really long time, uh, as long as you stay undetected. That, you know, the chances of you being able to follow them and then kind of get to where you see them start bedding is probably pretty good, honestly. Um, but if you spook them, they're going to cover more country than you'll ever, than anyone is ever going to be possible to cover, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I still go back but how about you know what I did that that morning if I should have just stuck with him a little bit more but I ended up backing out and it was you know kind of one of the days so I just left him left him down there and went back in the evening and ended up getting about 200 yards from that bull I, I had the caps on um on this side of me I just saw two of them kind of through the trees and I just tried to follow them as best I could and then they all completely shut up and I just didn't hear another word out of them that evening and I've lost sight of the cows going in there and uh so that was kind of that that evening's uh events I guess it was it was fun I guess getting that close to them but then I I couldn't tell if I bumped them or what exactly happened out I don't think so. They never winded me. They couldn't have winded me. So yeah. that's the worst kind of thing to yeah. do for an elk. I mean, you can get away with a lot of stuff with elk until mm-hmm. they wind you. You know, I mean, you can be a lot louder than you would ever think. You can move through the shadows more than you would ever think. But as soon as they wind you, they're gone forever. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I did not want them to keep going in further where they were because it was not pretty. It would have been fun coming out of there with, with a bull. <laughs> so I, uh, the next morning, I basically did the same thing, except I got, uh, as far as kind of getting out and, and trying to just get high and above them. 
pass them up and just listen. But I got a lot closer to that basin where they were in. Well, I got out, climbed up on this ridge, and he was bugling again. And But this time I was already, I was there a lot earlier. I was like, okay, I'll get down and I'll cut him off. Had good wind in my face, not much wind at all. It was pretty still, but there was a little bit of breeze in my face, like prevailing from the west. And uh, I'm thinking it'd be a lot better. So climbed in on them. They're all at the top of this little basin. Um, he's got them all rounded up, and they're just kind of standing there, not really moving, not doing much. So the wind's in my face. I need to get to this little, like, uh, like a jackpine, I guess. Uh-huh. Think, okay, from there, I'll be like maybe 200, but I'm thinking a little bit closer. And then I'll just wait and see which way they go and hope that uh, hope that they either come close to me, but if they don't, I'll be able to back out and go around and get in front of them before they go down into the bottom of the basic bed again. And uh, I, I'm just getting to that, to that jackpine. I'm like within 100 yards of that thing. I'm about to close it, and I look behind me, and there's coming up like another big drainage, kind of over the top of the mountain. Basically, it's like all fogged in. It's like the clouds are rolling in, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Well, like right as I stopped to look at that, I felt the wind hit the back of my neck. Oh. And I leaped out, like put her put her nose up in the air, and I'm like, "This this is over," and there's nowhere to go. Like there's <laughs>
I was getting ready to go on my hunt. I looked at my tag. I had drawn my third choice. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so I just was like, oh, great. Well, let's switch over and start doing research on a different area. <laughs> and so I started doing research, and I just started laying out spots that I needed to look, spots that I needed to walk through and look from. And, you know, this day I'm going to do this. If that doesn't work, this day I'm going to do that. If that doesn't work, this day I'm going to do, you know, A, B, C, D, all these plans. And I've found that helps me um, stay positive because it takes the indecisiveness and the indecision out of it. Um, Because it's just like, think of, I mean, you've you've hunted whitetails and you know a little bit about tree stands and hanging trail cameras. It's just like when you go to hang a tree stand or trail camera, you look at a tree and I go, that's a pretty good tree, but I wonder if I can find a better tree. And it's the exact same thing when you're hunting. When your first spot sucks, if you don't have a second spot already picked out, you start looking at all the stuff and going, well, that looks pretty good, but I might not see anything. And that over there looks pretty good, but I might not see anything. And that over and that burns you out super quick. <laughs> but if you just go in there like, hey, this one doesn't work out. I already know where I'm going, and I'm going to go there guaranteed for sure. Unless on the way to that spot I see something, I am going there. That's what helps me because, I mean, it's – God bless. It's hard not getting down on yourself for doing something stupid. It's hard for, you know, it's hard to not want to give up and go home, honestly. You know, mm-hmm. it's hard to feel like you didn't put in the right research and you didn't look in the right spots. You know, and that happens to all of us. But I've found that having a laid out plan and then just sticking to that plan unless, you know, something really drastic changes when I get to the unit or something, um, like a fire or something like that, you know, um, I'm just going to stick to the plan and give it help. And I yeah, found that helps. Yep. Yeah. I And that's it's funny because that's kind of when, you know, the weather was getting back and it was already six and things sort of started to fall apart a little bit. And then I was just kind of fatigued out anyways, and I was like, I just need a break. And it was, it's really not that far to home from there. So I was like, I just need a break. And, uh, you know, I heard Robbie Denning say once, he's like, I think he he said that his dad told him this. Um, but he's like, don't, don't give up, just give up for a day or two. And yeah. So that's that's exactly kind of where my mind was on it. I was like, I just kind of need a, a break. And it was another thing too. It was, I hadn't really seen many people at all in there, and it was rolling into the weekend, and a bunch of people started to show up. Uh huh. Well, if there's any time for me to maybe take a break, maybe this weekend's it. And <laughs> come back and hang out and uh, just kind of kind of re. Yeah, exactly. Recharge and reorganize and whatnot. So that's what I did. I came home and I stayed here for, oh, I don't know, three days, I think, maybe four days and ended up going back. Well, just basically I was going to finish out. It was the last week in the season. I ended up going there on a Thursday, Thursday afternoon, and that season was going to close on a Sunday. So I uh I headed out there on a Thursday and there was a snowstorm 
forecasted for that night, of course, and I'm just like, God. So, again, thinking I don't want to get stuck back. I wanted to go back to the same spot because there was, you know, I'd seen that or those cows in the that bowl. And then I had seen, like, some other smaller bulls that were interesting. They were kind of all feeding together. Like, they were bashed up already. It was kind of interesting, I guess. And they were all feeding together, and then I saw I saw a really big bull with a bunch of cows kind of over where I'd seen those other bachelor groups. So I was going to come back, and that was my plan. That's what I was going to hunt. And uh, but got in there, didn't want to get stuck back in on that road, so I ended up uh, I did brought my sawtooth and my stove, and I set that all up in a spot that was a lot closer to kind of the main gravel road that I knew they would um, they would clear off if it got super bad, and there would at least be um, people around making tracks and whatnot. So that's where I stayed, just a little bit easier. To, to get around the snow, plus, like, it would just give me more mobility to move areas, which turns out that's exactly what I needed was not, not complete areas, but just be able to move spots and just cover some more country and glass and whatnot, which that unit um, right in there is pretty good for glassing, uh, which is one of the reasons I like it so much, because I just, I like glassing, that's kind of my... <laughs> <laughs> kind of my wheelhouse, not so much the when I can't see anything and just calling. So give her hell. Yeah. <laughs> so I get there and it's snowing as I'm going up the mountain and like I'm just and then I kind of drove out of it and I'm just setting up my my tent and everything as it starts snowing. So wake up the next morning, uh, it's still completely soft in, it's still snowing. So I just kind of. <laughs> I hang out with the stove going for a while, and then after it kind of clears up, about 11 or so, um, I hiked up on a, a point that I could see over to where I, I wanted to, I was wanting to hunt, and glassed all that for that afternoon, and didn't didn't see any elk up there, um, so I decided to, the next morning, I would roll a little bit lower. Um, the snow was still super bad. I, I couldn't, couldn't get back where I wanted to go. So I went a bit, a little bit lower and ended up getting on some bulls that next evening that were, it was kind of a crazy thing. I like went down lower and went to a couple spots that I had looked at on the map and just kind of glassed in there and didn't see much for tracks. That's, I guess, the one good thing about the snow is the tracks. And there didn't see tracks. Yeah, so I was on my way to go actually a little bit higher and hit a glassing spot for just the last light. And there's a, a trailhead that's just, I mean, it's honestly, it's right off the highway. And I'm thinking, well, it's a, but it's a really big season. Um, it runs probably a mile and a half, maybe two miles back there. And runs up to about, oh, I don't know, it goes from probably 7,800 feet um, up to like 98, so it it goes up a lot in that. Yeah, how And it goes fast <laughs> far. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. So I get into the trailhead lot, and there's two vehicles parked there, 
and I glassed from the trailhead up to the head of this basin, and there's a bowl, like, halfway up it. I'm like, dude, no way. I'm like, well, there's elk in here. Might as well go. So I threw my pack on and started hiking, and uh, I didn't get, I mean, quarter mile maybe from from my truck heading up into some sagebrush type stuff, and I kind of look over on one of the ridge lines, and there's a cow, like, not that far from me, like 400 yards probably. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, there's elk in here at least. So sneak up, and turns out there's a pretty good, I mean, it, it was a good bull for sure. Um, it was a good herd bull with probably 12 cows or so. And uh, so I, I snuck out in front of them, and there was other other people in there that were coming down off of the ridge line, and then they saw those bulls also and were dropping in on them. And I kind of, I was kind of coming up. Uh, I ended up having to swing low and, and come up from the bottom. And uh, I got about 200 yards from them, and that's about as as close as I could I could go. And and uh, there was guys coming up behind them bugling, and they were just not not having it. So they they took off and, and headed up. And then the sun, you know, it was pretty much dark by that time. So. I uh I ran and I talked to a couple of those guys and they had been in there that morning and uh they were gonna go back in there the next morning so I just I was like, All right, well I'm I might just move over a basin and try this, this next little area. So that's exactly what I did. Um got it that morning. I glassed actually a the a whole bunch of elk at the very head of this basin which is it was like Ended up, I went two miles up and I had like another half mile to go. So it was like two, there were two and a half miles up there. I make my way up. I hit the like 11, I think. And all these elk are still just in this last little section of like jack pines. And they're all just, they're herded up. And so I'm just sitting there trying to figure out a plan. Like I was going to, drop over the backside of the ridge, make my way across the backside of the basin, and then try to drop in on them. Uh-huh. And, like, no more did I get my plan together, and, like, hell broke loose. And <laughs> all the elk started running towards me. Well, they all got out in the open and were just all bunched up and looking backwards. And I saw two guys come out of the trees there. And then all of a sudden, two guys pop over the back basically on top of them and kind of start making making their way down to them well then all the elk are running towards my side and gonna pop over the basin into the next drainage and uh i got probably 200 yards from the cows and they were kind of running my way and then the guys that were above them one dude just start sprinting down the ridge right at them and he was like in the open so it wasn't even trying to be concealed and they did a couple of circles and then ran back into the basin they were in and into the bottom. And I'm just like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> it was ridiculous. And all and then all four of those guys dropped down and were going in right after them and just going in right behind them, which I, don't, I guess I don't know if I would have just followed them like that. but maybe I'm right sure there. that worked out well for them. I'm sure it did. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay. Kind of now, now what the hell do I do? Ended up seeing a buck that I tried to pull a stock on, and he got in the really thick stuff. Um, so that was kind of fun for a minute. And then I started 
heading down the ridge um, back towards my truck and was going to actually go up higher because by this time it was like getting to be 35 degrees, the sun was out, and snow was melting. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go try up a little higher, especially, you know, it was a Saturday, so every, you know, everybody that had a tag that was like a type nine, that was their last weekend for archery. So there was a, a bunch of people out and I'm thinking, okay, maybe they pushed the elk higher. So that was kind of my plan for, for that evening is I was going to go up and, and glass and try to locate elk for the, for the last day. Well, on my way down, I don't get too far from the truck. It ended up being like a half mile, which was super cool. And I ran into a herd of elk, like just a little, there was probably eight or 10 cows in a bull and just feeding away super, you know, they didn't, he ended up, I'm pretty sure that somebody bugled off the highway a couple times and he bugled back at him. But that's the only thing I ever, you know, I, I didn't hear him before I got in there close. Um, I was actually on the stock when, when he bugled this couple times. So they were just, Silent, tucked away in a little, uh, a little pocket by themselves. Too much. They didn't bother too much, but I like came out on this uh, cliff, and I'm like, dang it, I can't get down that. So I was making my way around to drop down and, and you know go back down to the truck, and I run into this out, this uh, herd of elk. So then I, and they were just speeding along. So I snuck out on a, it was basically this cliff, but they had a bunch of, like, rocks that were the size of, like, watermelons, average, probably. Uh Uh-huh. Well, well, like, none of the rocks have a home. They're all rolly and, like, clinging around, whatever. So I'm trying to make my way across this, and it's probably, (laughs) it was, like, 100 yards of that. Holy uh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, and if I stood up and tried to to go over them that way like they could see me so I had to crawl over all of them so I'm trying not to like ding things around too much and uh got over there and they were they were still just feeding away and they ended up feeding right under me and and then I shot him and that was that was about it the shot was I ranged him at at 71 and you could just tell that you know you could just just tell by the way they were speeding, they weren't they weren't going to come any closer, and there was definitely no way I was I was getting any closer. Uh, <laughs> I was completely maxed out on where I could be, so he uh, he turned just a teeny bit closer away from me, and I drew and came up over the uh, the little cliff ridge that thingy that I was on, and uh, I shot and got a complete pass through right behind his shoulder and came out his neck and uh it was super cool seeing him like like they had no idea I was there and then he just jumped forward a little bit and just stood there and the cows just were looking around kind of trying to figure out what just happened but they weren't (laughs) they weren't super tuned up or anything and he uh he went out he was at 90 and just standing there and I was like looking at him with my binoculars and there's snow on the ground below him and he's just pumping blood. I was like, I was like, holy cow, I got him. And then he just kind of starts doing the, the lean and he walks maybe 10 yards behind these trees 
And I'm like, Jesus, what just happened? And then I heard him crash. And so hopefully that wasn't too long and drawn out, but. No, you could could have shared more if you wanted. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's basically all that happened. There was this, those those first six days kind of drained me. Yeah. At least, you know, I was in Elk. And I am not certainly not complaining about it at all because I was consistently in elk and whatnot. It just after you know a while the total I hate snow, got a bunch of that wet nasty snow and but yeah it was it was super cool coming back and and uh, getting in it was like it was day eight total of, of the whole thing and and that was super cool and I got. The luckiest part was it was only half mile from the truck, and it was all downhill. It was steep, but it was all downhill. So, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So, when you were, you know, you're on your way back to your truck, and all of a sudden there's just elk there. Um, what was kind of your first day where you just kind of like, holy shit, there's a right there's right there. You know what was yeah. what was kind of your first reaction? <laughs> yeah, that that's basically what it what it was. Is I was like, oh my god! So I just crouched down, and uh, they luckily, I mean, they didn't see me. That's one thing because I was I was still walking through trees, but I was exposed. You know, I was, when I was going back to my truck, I was moving, and uh, I'm just. Very thankful that I saw them before they saw me and then was kind of able to devise a plan. But I had just walked through there on the way up. So how, you know, how I didn't run into sign or anything like that, but kind of just goes to show you they don't, they don't need much really. And, you know, only half a mile from the road too. It's like they, the elk are where they are. Um, You know, just don't, I guess, don't overlook little places like that that are because they don't get bothered there. That's where they're going to be. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly where they were, was in their, their own little pocket and plenty of feed in there and, and cover, and they just didn't, didn't need to leave. That's way cool. So <clears throat> what was, what were some of the pieces of gear that you used on this trip that you, don't think you'd have been able to do the trip without it. Ooh. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> I think uh, one, a huge one, and one I think just everybody should look into, is like a stove. And I was truck camping, but I was still using a setup that's, you know, basically designed for backpack hunting, which is like the second trip was the Kafaru Sawtooth. Uh-huh. So like I threw I threw a cot in there and it was pretty pretty comfortable the last trip but uh but that stove I mean it weighs under two pounds and it's a freaking heat source that you can you know backpack in with and that that snow that time of year is going to be really wet and it's you know it just saturates everything. And being able to go in and dry all that stuff out when you get when you get wet is just that's pretty dang hard to beat. Especially when I when I light that stove and you can get that thing you can get it 
smoking hot in those tents. And uh, that's just a morale booster. It was for me, at least. As soon as that heat gets going, you start feeling better. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as you start drying stuff out, there's not much worse than, than wet clothes mm-hmm. and wet boots. You know, yeah. you wake up in the morning and you go to put your boots on and they're frozen solid. That sucks. <laughs> it does suck. It does suck. Yeah, I've had a trip like that that forever changed me. Yeah, it, it doesn't really matter how you look at it. It sucks putting on frozen solid boots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. And so that that was a really big one. That's just, uh, you know, people say they kind of overuse the term game changer, but I think, like, a stove on a hunt like that, it it is. It just lets you, it lets you stay there longer. And, I mean, it could turn into a – I mean, if you get really wet, that it could end your hunt just, you know, safety-wise. Yeah. So have, having that stove – Having that stove just, yeah, that really helps. Um, yeah. Let's see. It, and it was cold. I mean, I would wake up. It was the pretty much that second time I had, I guess I stayed there three nights. And each morning it was most. between 25 and 28 was kind of consistent. So that's. That's pretty dang cold, I guess, for me. And uh, I think the other thing, warmth-wise, puppy pants. Was what? Uh, puppy pants. Like the, uh, I use the First Light Uncompadre puppy pants. Which is good. Yeah, yeah. I have uh, the, the Sidka mm-hmm. Chelsea Down puppy pants, and I, you know, they seem kind of overkill until you need them. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you almost don't realize, like, how cold your legs get or, like, how much heat kind of escaping your legs until you put them on. And you're just like, holy cow, it's like a light switch. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's literally like putting a sleeping bag on your legs. It is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except for you can walk a lot better than hop around like a worm. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. But I think like those were the two biggest for me. Uh, another thing that kind of goes along with like it being snow and just just everything gets kind of sloppy. Like when that snow starts melting, it's just it's super wet and it just like that ground up there, as you know, it just gets super slick and like just nasty so like the other thing was probably gators gators were super nice on that trip so when you you get back in the tent you can just take those off and throw them in the corner and then you can your boot laces aren't all like frozen together and all muddy and your your pant legs are semi uh dry and uh not dirty so that was that's super nice having a pair of gators too yeah no kidding i that's you know I try to, I try to get that point across to people that gators are not just for when when it snows a ton and you're trying to keep everything dry. They work extremely well when it's super muddy too, because then like you say, your boot laces, the pant bottoms, all that stuff gets way way less muddy. And when it comes yeah. time to take them off and all that kind of stuff in and out of the tent, 
it works excellent. Yeah, kind of keep keep all that stuff out of your tin as best you can, and yeah, it's just those gators are good. And then I think if I had another one was uh, like I didn't have cell service up there, and so that in reach, that warm in reach, really, really was nice too, and more like a peace of mind thing that you know I didn't have to be like, oh, need me at home, or what if something happens, or to do that stuff a lot, especially when I'm by myself for some reason. So that is yeah. able to just pretty much, like, simultaneously or whatever, text back and forth, for the most part, it, it works really good. It's not like a, you know, something that takes 10 minutes to send a message and 15 minutes to get one back in. Um, you can keep checking your messages and pretty much right back and forth, uh, text, yep. whoever. So that's really nice to have. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, especially, you know, like, my wife and things like that, that really helps keep peace of mind. Not only helps keep her peace of mind, but it also helps me be able to go on more hunts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and longer. And yeah. Just that maybe you wouldn't usually, like, stay as long because you weren't going to have self-service or something like that. Yep, definitely. What uh, what did you have for optics on that hunt? So I started with uh, I kind of been messing around with those the Maven C ones. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I I did a an article for Rockslide, like a, a review article on those. And one thing that kind of really intrigued me about those was they're they're pretty dang light and they're like. Three hundred and fifty dollars, I believe. Right. That's pretty hard so, to beat. <laughs> pretty, yeah, pretty hard to beat. And like for three hundred and fifty dollars, the the optic quality is is pretty dang good. And and with me on archery hunts, um, I usually like rifle hunts. The other carry well, they're just like not really practical to use a rangefinder to archery hunt with and and to add to it like they're they're pretty heavy for yeah. hours because they have that rangefinder in them so that was kind of my idea on that was to to ditch the ones that were a little bit bigger and heavier i didn't really need the rangefinder in because i was carrying a rangefinder anyways um so and then i usually carry 15 power uh Swarovski binoculars with me, and then my spotting scope too um, for mule deer. So I started with with those C ones, and then that second trip I ended up uh, just throwing my DL ranges on because um, I wasn't carrying wasn't carrying a uh, a spotting scope. Carrying my 50s, I can still flip those on a tripod and glass with them. So that's that's why I brought brought those with me the last trip. But that's that's pretty much it. I uh, the first trip I glassed a lot more than I did uh, when I came back. But um, yeah, those use the EL ranges that second trip. But awesome. Yep. Yeah, I think I I've never actually owned a pair of you know the binoculars with the rangefinder in them. Mm-hmm. I've used a couple pairs of people that I know, and. I feel that they're they're kind of difficult to range things when you're archery hunting. Yep. I just I just feel that the field of view is so because it's a binocular, obviously, and 
I mean, not that you can't do it, obviously. You obviously can, you know, but man, I just like, man, where's my range finder? <laughs> this is, this is kind of shitty. No, yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. So, yeah, like anyone can get in a range finder binoculars, like if you're getting them for, for everything, like you're probably going to end up buying a real range finder for archery because they're just, they're just easier. Yeah. Like those Sporos too, um, the button is on the right side. So if you're, uh, the button's on the left side. So if you're right hand, oh, you just cut out for a while. Okay. Last I heard was the button is on the right side. Okay. Yeah. So the button's on the left side. I, uh, so if you're right handed, you can't really hit the button with one hand. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. If you have your, you know, if you have your your bow and you're just trying to one hand them, you can't reach reach the button. So, and then you know, just like they're they're ten powers. I mean, most rangefinders are like four power, aren't they? He's very low. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes it's just a little bit too close, and most of them, I know mine anyway, they don't range under thirty yards. So not that that's a, a huge deal, but you know, so. Well, awesome, awesome. Well, I'm I'm happy for you, and I'm uh, as cliche as it may sound. I'm proud of you for keeping after it, because I know, yeah, I know how hard it is, and and how much it messes with your mind when you're up there, especially when you're up there alone, and and then on top of it, it starts snowing, and you're just thinking like. Excuse my French, everybody that doesn't like cussing, but you're just thinking, fuck me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know? Oh, I said that. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, really? You wake up in the morning and there's 14 years ago, and you're like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> and you're so mad internally. and uh, But to keep going, even after that, is awesome. So that, that takes a lot. So that props to you. I think, like, I don't know. I'll. Maybe we should touch on the 70 yard thing because I'm sure I'll get some hate. Yeah, you know, uh, that's, yeah, we can touch on that. I, I've shot at elk at over 80. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have a rangefinder and, uh, he was probably about 81 yards and I shot him for about 74. Mm-hmm. Um, and my fletchings literally hit his chest. You know, like, if, if I'd have been, a, a inch and a half higher, I'd have hit him, you know? Not where you want to hit him, but, um, but I still would have hit him, you know? I, right. I think, uh, I heard Levi Morgan probably put it the best way that I have ever heard anyone put it. And that was, you, other people shouldn't be putting their own limitations on someone else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if I can, if I can, and this is all just throwing shit out there. Let's say if I can stand at 150 yards and I can shoot a four-inch group at 150 yards, I don't even shoot at 150 yards. Let's just say I can. And I can shoot a four-inch group at 150 yards. You can bet your ass that if I'm out antelope hunting or deer hunting and I have a deer at 130 yards, I'm probably going to shoot it. Yep. <laughs> I'm because. I practice enough, 
I'm efficient with my equipment. I know what I'm capable of. I'm not going to be shooting a 350-grain arrow. Um, you know, uh, there's way more stuff that plays into shooting long distance yeah. than just being able to hit the damn target. No, yeah, exactly. And it's like, man, if they would have known that I was there, that would have changed things quite a bit, you know. But yeah. They didn't know I was there, and I shot Bull, and he died within 60 yards. And when I went down to get him, the cows are 60 yards from me feeding before they saw me. You know, they just don't, it's not like they all knew, you know, were alert and were able to, to jump. No, yeah, like see, that, that's a huge difference as well. That's a huge difference as well because, as anyone knows, when they go to when you go to shoot an animal, the amount of movement that that animal has takes a lot of momentum and kinetic energy away from your arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the animal is standing there feeding and takes it like a man or like an idiot, <laughs> you know, just takes that arrow. Um, your your arrow the the momentum and kinetic energy that are going straight through that arrow continue on a straight line of path because the animal didn't move. Yep. You know, I mean, I, I've had shots just like, you know, I, I shot an elk a couple of years ago at like 53 yards or something like that. Blew completely through him. This year I shot an elk at almost 13 yards. It didn't go completely through him because he jumped my spring string a drop and spun away from my arrow. Yeah. You know, there, it's just, there's just there's so much that else that goes into um, shooting animals farther away. You got to hit them in the right spot, but also if you're shooting a really light arrow, it's not going to work. If you're shooting a heavier arrow, which I know you do, um, that's going to work. You're shooting, I believe you're also shooting a fixed blade broadhead, correct? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which also helps a ton with with. Uh, with the amount of penetration that you get because there's nothing taken away from the arrow. Um, and I have nothing against expandables. I've shot expandables before. I killed a deer this year with expandables in Colorado. You know, I, I don't have anything against expandables, but no one can argue that expandables do not take away momentum and penetration. They just, they just do because of the mechanics of the blades opening. So you had a lot of stuff going for you. You practice. Um, it's not like you picked up your bow a week before you went and said, hey, let's go kill an elk. Uh, you know, you practice, you shoot. Uh, I would assume that you probably shoot to 80, 90, 100 yards uh, when you're practicing. So if you're confident in it, I think power to you. I think it's freaking awesome. <laughs> That's, I mean, I was pretty dang confident in it or I wouldn't uh... I wouldn't have done it, you know. There's that too, but yeah, that setup and like I think a heavy arrow. I mean that that's always just made sense to me. I'm not a big archery techie, really, but <laughs> arrows, heavy arrows always made sense to me. And and uh, it took me a few years before the the fixed blade thing kind of clicked versus um, versus an expandable, mostly just because. That's what I had heard everybody, you know. The big thing was expandables, and everybody was, everybody was shooting them. But after uh, after I saw those work a couple times and didn't really like it, switched to that fixed blade, and, like, you know, this this bowl went straight through him and uh, left a pretty dang big hole. And then my my mule deer last year was, like, 65-ish, um, and it 
went through both shoulder blades pass through. So I'm pretty happy with my setup for right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's, like I said, it comes down to all the things that we discussed. Um, and other people should not be putting their limitations on other people. Uh, I don't, I mean, it's, it's no different than picking up a rifle. You know, if I go hang out with Justin Crossley, who can shoot thousand yards no problem, and I go out with him, I'm not going to look at him and tell him not to shoot thousand yards. I know he can do it. <laughs> you know, oh, me? Exactly. Good Lord, I'd be lucky if I hit a six by six foot targeted a thousand yards (laughs) but i'm not going to go out there and say hey justin because i'm a shitty shot i don't think you should shoot any farther than me like that yeah that doesn't even make sense (laughs) no for sure it's kind of funny because it almost seems like and most of the reason i wanted to talk to this is just to give it some con give that yardage some context i guess yep to what you know whatever so people aren't like oh jesus but, um, like, a lot of people draw a line, and for whatever reason, it's 60 yards, and it's because they don't have a pin past 60, you know? Yeah. It's just kind of, I don't know, it's just goofy. I've told a few people what it is, and they're just like, what? You did what? Calm down. Well, yeah, and then and then I think, too, you know, I think people draw the line at something like 60 yards, because if you listen to somebody like Randy Ulmer, he doesn't shoot animals past 60 yards. Mm-hmm. And that dude is an incredible shot. But that's yeah. what he feels is ethical. That's what he feels is right. Mm-hmm. I go at Levi Morgan. He feels he can shoot an animal at 110 yards. Cool. Power to him. They're very different people. They can shoot at the yardage that they feel comfortable with. But you don't see those two reaching out to other people and bashing them for shooting at whatever yard they decide to shoot at. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, we're yeah. all – and, I mean, we, we really don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but, like, we're all a, a hunting family and all the bashing and other stupid shit. It all comes down to people are just jealous that you shot an elk and they didn't, and they just need to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually what it is. Yeah. That's usually what it is. <laughs> yeah, it just it drives me crazy. But right, yeah, it was uh other than that, it was a good hunt, good pastor. He didn't go very far. And, uh, oh, you're cutting again. blood trail, which was nice, and the pack out. I did. I ended up taking. I took one load out that evening. So that was like there was two and a half hours before daylight or before dark, and. uh I still had to get him skinned and quartered. This is kind of goofy for me. I, I literally have four pictures with me in them. All I took was four. Just, wow. I think I, I know. It kind of surprised me, too. I was like, what the hell was I thinking? But that's all right. <laughs> I got, got a picture out of it and, and uh, just got him. I got him skinned up. I ended up taking the back straps, neck meat, inner loins, and a shoulder out the first night and then I came back in the next morning and took a ham a shoulder and then the ham in the head. So I gotcha. Got which I don't know if I'd do that again. <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't too bad. I you know, it was it was all downhill. It's funny, like I was uh 
I when I went to put the head on, uh-huh. one thing I will say is just go ahead and take the extra time to skin the head out and take the jaw. Just do it. Right. Just listen to me and do it. Because if I'd have known how much of a difference there was without that on there, I it's insane, it. huh? It's yeah, it's wild. And like, I had a back ham and then the head, and I I got my backpack like stood up to where I could climb in it. Finally, I got in <laughs> it, and then the antlers were like digging in the ground. And you so couldn't stand up. Me around, and I couldn't stand. Oh, it took me forever to stand up. I was like, <laughs>
Yeah, I I would have skinned that head out if I'd have known quite the how much it weighed because the whole way down I was like I'm freaking never doing this again. Yeah. Well, I mean, but yeah, so, bones for sure. So like you know, yeah, I, and I don't understand why why so many people don't do it. I don't know whether they want the structure of the bone so that it fits better on their pack. I think that's you know, what, I think that's what a lot of people think. I've just seen that on forums and such. You know, but if you have the right type of game bag, like uh, the Kapar game bags are a good example. Um, mm-hmm. They they keep everything very compact, and it's more than a tube shape, as yep. opposed to you know some of the cheap Walmart ones. You start putting it in there, and it just balloons out, and it's just a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the more expensive ones, they keep it kind of in a more like a cylinder is probably the best way to put it. Um, yeah. It's almost in the shape of a cylinder, and then packing it is is great. And and uh, for so like kind of easy for easy math, they use say an elk weighs six hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. When you quarter an elk, you know take both hinds, both fronts, the back straps and the tenderloins. You're cutting that six hundred roughly in half. So now you're about three hundred. If you bone everything out, you're cutting that in half roughly almost again. So you're looking at 150 to 175 pounds now. Yeah. That's manageable. And when you get home, you're going to throw the bones away anyways. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. why in the hell are you carrying all this shit out that you're going to throw away? <laughs> I know. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, I know exactly. know exactly what you <laughs> I had to stop myself from commenting on people's picture when I see him carrying a leg. Like, I saw no shit. I saw a picture of a dude that had one elk leg in his backpack, and he didn't even lop the leg off at the joint. It still had the forearm, right. ankle, and the hook. Yeah. For real? Then, yeah, I know. Because it, it makes like, you look cool. It makes you look stupid. Especially, especially when you put in the comments, that you're like five miles back or whatever. Yeah. You're taking it so far. It's like, <laughs> are you really taking it that far, or is the truck just down the hill? Because I'll tell you, I mean, I my truck was just down the hill, and it was only half mile. Like, that's probably why I could do it. That's the other thing. That's probably why I could do it in three trips. I don't. That last load, especially with that stupid head, I still can't believe. <laughs> learning experience. I. I wouldn't have been able to make, you know, I don't know if I could have done that for two miles. Honestly, it would have sucked. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's it's definitely miserable. I basically packed mine, I don't know, probably around 800-ish feet out of the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then I called a buddy and he brought horses. <laughs> That's where it's at. You know, and, and That's where it's at. That, that doesn't always happen to me. I'm usually not that lucky. but. This time being roughly five miles back in one way, I was pretty happy when he answered the phone. <laughs> he came and helped me. <laughs> Dude, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Because that's, that's when you start taking days. And I I think maybe that's something that, I don't know, people don't realize too. Like I've heard um, some people say, it's, you know, it's going to take five or six trips to get an elk out. <clears throat> well, I always thought more like four. Mm-hmm. Is that what you kind of figure for? Um, so I've kind of 
I've kind of done it both ways. I've done it really on the short side. Um, I took a raghorn bull out uh, for two and a half or three miles in one load. Um, granted, once again, it's a raghorn. It's a year and a half old bull. So it didn't weigh anything even close to a mature bull. You know, they're, they're like 150 pounds lighter. Yeah. Um, so I carried him basically the whole elk out downhill for about a mile and a half and then it was slightly uphill for another three quarters of a mile and then I split him up up this really steep thing and I put everything back on and went down and I split him up one more time because I ran out of water again um found some water put half of him in the water because I had the kafar the waterproof bag and so I put half of him in that water to keep him cool and uh Got everything, you know, half of it to the last uphill thing. Took the next one to the last uphill, loaded everything back on, walked downhill to the vehicle. That was about five miles total, and that took me 11 hours. Yeah. To get a whole elk out. Um, now, this one that I did this year, he was an older bull. There's no way I'd have been able to get the whole elk out in one trip. You know, it would have it put more strain and stress on me than it would have been worth it. You know, yeah. so... Probably would have been looking more at if you if you could make a half trip, I probably could have done it in two and a half. Um, but there's no such thing really as a half trip, so it probably would have been about three, is what I yeah. I imagine it would have been because I I would have taken um, a hind and a front shoulder and one, a hind and front shoulder and the other, and then I would have taken my gear, both backs, both pinnacles, and the head in a third one. Gotcha. Is what what I would have done, but like I said, my buddy was able to come and help me out. Um, so I I loaded up really heavy, just getting him out of the bottom because I didn't want to have to go back to the carcass with all the recent grizzly attacks. <laughs> Dude, no kidding! It seems like it's been crazy this year. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't done much in grizz country this year. Actually, I don't think I've I haven't done anything in grizz country this year. But yeah, it just seems like way it's worse tough. than it's ever been before. Good God. Yeah, they need to figure something out with that season. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Get a, get a few liberals up there that, that don't want it. You know, because what the problem is probably is, is most of the people that have been eaten have been hunters, right? And I was just thinking the, about that, yeah. The, liberal, the liberals are like, yes, eat them. That's what they get for being hunters or, or the tree hunters or whatever, whatever you want to call them. It doesn't matter. But then you have... You know, if, if their own kind went out there and got eaten, they'd be like, oh, God, we, we better figure something out. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Like, it's only a matter of time until a little backpacker gets snatched up off his trail, right? Yeah, yeah, or or, or a family of kids, you know, kids or something. Oh, my gosh, yeah. it, it, something, no, no matter where people stand on hunting, something needs to be done about the grizzlies for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I don't know how we got on that that subject, but <laughs> I don't know either. You know, <laughs> I guess I was saying I was in grizzly country. That's probably rabbit holes. Yeah, yeah. Didn't want to be eaten by grizz. No, not too badly. Not too badly, man. I had a I had a three fifty seven pistol with me. I had a semi automatic forty four mag rifle with me. Because I, <laughs> I can't hit the broadside of a barn with a pistol. Uh-huh. Um, I, I can't, I'm terrible, but that pistol is small enough that it can fit in my, my hip pocket, uh, of my Sinka pants. 
Mm-hmm. So if I go on a stock or something like that, I can just shove that pistol down in there, and then I usually put bear spray in the other hip pocket. There's always you know, yeah, because yeah, then it, then when I drop my pack, I at least have something, you know. But yeah, that way if I go down there and I spray him in the face with bear spray and I miss four times with the pistol, I can save the fifth round for me. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that bear spray. I don't know why I just thought about this. I was talking to my dad last night, and he read in the paper that there was a couple guys who got. Uh, chewed on by a, a grizzly. They were they were archery hunting, but the the bear got on one guy, and the other guy was getting his his bear spray out. And this, I guess it's not that funny, but it's kind of comical. He like shot himself in the face with that bear spray. Oh shit! He was trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So they, that's uh, a bad day. That's bad. So he got. <laughs> So he, like, got himself in the face a little bit, and then he, he got the bear with it, and the bear got off of the other guy, and the other guy got his bear spray out and sprayed the bear, but it was he was downwind, so all that stuff came back into his face, too, and it wasn't good. It, Holy shit. Probably, probably a, a minor shit show, mostly. Yeah, no, actually, ironically enough, something like that kind of happened to me one time. Uh-huh. Uh, my dad and I went up, and uh, we were elk hunting, and I said, hey, Dad, this is a really cool spot for a picture. So I, I set my phone up. You know, this is before I even had a camera. I was working on setting my phone up so I could turn the timer on. And he goes over, and he goes, you know, uh, a little bit behind me to kind of pose so I can get him in the camera, obviously. And I'm looking at the phone, looking at the phone, and I hear, <laughs> and I'm like, Holy shit, what was that? And I turn around and there's literally a green fog coming at me. And oh. this green fog hits me in the face and then the wind blows it right back in his face. Oh, <laughs> so I go no. barreling down all these mountains, you know, and it's steep as steep. And I'm like trying to see and I'm running and I I can't breathe and this is the next thirty minutes running water over my face. So what had happened is is the clip on the trigger of his bear spray had fallen off. Oh, no. And when he went to go put his hands on his hips to pose, he hit the trigger. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was my bear spray incident. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was Not pretty good. interesting. It, it burned pretty thing. well. Pretty bad. Uh, I bet. Yeah, I bet it does. <laughs> yeah. I but... Well, anywho, well, yeah, well, thanks a bunch for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are Eastman Elevated with Brian Barney, and Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers. And a special thanks to Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting. Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.